It's time for your local weekly analysis, Slow County Public Policy and the Law, with your host, Stu Jenkins. The Union Forever, hurrah, boys, hurrah, down with the traitor. Welcome to Slow County Public Policy and the Law, only at KNews 98.5. This is your host, Stu Jenkins. I'm a lawyer who has helped people protect their families and real estate with their estate plans. And since 1978, I have tried several thousand Slow County court cases. It has been my privilege to strike down unconstitutional election laws and city ordinances and to enforce the voters' decision to ban cannabis billboards on Highway 101. I've been honored to serve as an elected Port San Luis Harbor Commissioner and repeatedly served as Superior Court Special Master. At Slow County Public Policy and the Law, we talk with office holders, lawyers, and activists shaping public policies that affect you. Last week, I spoke with Eric Gorham about county spending, and he made a little news dropping out of the 5th District Board of Supervisors race right here on the air. I also got to talk with Slow County's Republican Party Chairman Randall Jordan about local Republican Party structure, operations, and vision. He outlined different ways young people of every age could get involved. If you missed last week's show, log into the podcast of the interviews at knews985.com. That's knews985.com. Today, I am very pleased to chat with Richard Ayers, an environmental lawyer based in Washington, D.C., representing Friends of the Earth in the U.S. Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals in litigation brought against the U.S. Nuclear Regulatory Commission and PG&E, seeking to ultimately decommission the Diablo Canyon nuclear power plant. In our second hour, Congressman Salud Carbajal talks with me about his work for you in the House of Representatives this session. Congressman Carbajal is on the Armed Services Committee, the Agriculture Committee, and he is the ranking member of the Infrastructure Committee. But right now, let me tell you just a little background about attorney Richard Ayers, who's giving up his dinner hour to talk to us from Washington, D.C., I might add. Mr. Ayers co-founded the Natural Resources Defense Council in 1970, where he headed the efforts to amend the Clean Air Act in 1977, 1980, and 1990. He has tried dozens of federal court cases, including in the Supreme Court, interpreting and enforcing the Clean Air Act and the National Environmental Policy Act. Richard Ayers serves on the boards of directors of the Natural Resources Defense Council and its Action Fund. There is a lot more he has done, but let's talk with him about his important case and about about himself. Richard, welcome to the show. Thank you, Stu. Now, now where is it uh, you hail from originally? <laughs> I grew up in Oregon, actually, not far from Portland, okay. and uh, still love the West. Um, feel like a Westerner, but I've lived in the East for now more than fifty years. Wow! And uh, you, you've uh, uh, what's 
What's the most important Supreme Court case you think you have handled uh, that, that you're proudest of? Well, um, uh, one that was first and probably one of the most important was called uh, Train versus NRDC. Train was the administrator of the EPA. Oh, no, I'm sorry. That's the second one. The first one was called uh, um, uh, Vermont Yankee Nuclear Power Company versus NRDC. Oh, I think I remember and, that one. Yeah, that was a case that was brought when power nuclear power plants were being uh, uh, authorized all over, all over the country. And there was one uh, that was proposed for Vermont. Um, and the National Environmental Policy Act was new at that time. What it requires, as your your listeners probably know, is that before a federal action is taken that affects the environment, there must be an analysis done of the environmental impact and of the options to reduce that impact or eliminate it by not doing the project. So the issue we raised uh, in that Vermont Yankee case was that when the Nuclear Regulatory Commission did its NEPA statement, as they call them, it ignored altogether the environmental effects of generating nuclear waste. Ah. Uh, it simply acted as if that didn't exist. Um, so um, we brought suit about that, um, one in the U.S. Court of Appeals, twice, actually, um, and the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, I'm afraid, demonstrated it was quite captive to the industry, even then, and uh, it took us to the Supreme Court. And unfortunately, uh, the court was into the burger phase at that point, which meant that it, was, it had a conservative majority, and they ruled against us. So there is, at this point, there is a regulation the NRDC, NRC adopted, uh, which requires the insertion of a one-page group of figures into each individual NEPA statement. And that one page is supposed to deal with all the issues related to nuclear waste. That's oh, only going to last for how many million years? <laughs> no, I, I remember telling the Chief Justice, uh, I think he, he said to me, you don't mean to say that this waste will be dangerous for a quarter of a million years, do you, counsel? <laughs> and I said, yes, Your Honor, I do. <laughs> it's always best to just confront a question like that with the truth, isn't it? So, mm -hmm. yeah. Well, I, I also saw something in your uh, bio about the Tennessee Valley Authority back in the uh, yes. late 70s. What what was that case all about? Well, most of my career was devoted, has been devoted to the Clean Air Act, implementing mm -hmm. it, amending it, so forth. And when the first Clean Air Act of importance was passed in 1970. It required um, every large power plant to have a plan for reducing emissions. And the biggest emitter of all in the United States at that point was the Tennessee Valley Authority, which is, as you know, is a federal agency, which was created by Roosevelt to develop the Tennessee Valley. But it has become pretty much a power company. And their response to the Clean Air Act was, oh, I'll tell you what, we'll raise our smokestacks to sometimes a thousand feet high 
and spread the pollution out more, and then that will reduce the concentrations near us. So, so more people can have uh, access to it, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and you laugh, and I did too when I first read that. Um, but I also read the act, and it said pretty clearly, no, you have to reduce your emissions. Yeah, yeah. So um, we filed suit in seven different federal districts because of the way the Clean Air Act is written. Well, it's such a huge, um, the Tennessee Valley Authority is so huge, it stretches across all those districts, doesn't it? Yeah, three states, a little bit into two more. And it had 12 huge coal fire power plants in that. So wow. we filed in seven districts. And um, then uh, Jimmy Carter was elected. He appointed a different chairman of the board of the TVA a guy named Dave Freeman. And Freeman looked at this situation and decided the TVA's position was untenable and stupid. And uh, so we worked out an agreement uh, that settled the case. And that cut the TVA emissions by half, which was equal to 5% of the total national emissions at that point goodness gracious so good for it you was a big it was a big win yeah good, good for you that that uh that's a real positive effect and uh what well let's let's talk a little bit about this case uh the the title i love the title slow mothers for peace friends of the <laughs> earth and the environmental working group versus the nrc and pg e right and um when I, uh, for for our listeners, uh, I uh, downloaded the I downloaded the complaint, uh, the o- opening brief basically uh, that was filed with the uh, United States Court of Appeal by you mm-hmm. and uh, several other attorneys on behalf of these three groups, um, and it's about a with the exhibits is about a hundred page document. And it has a lot of uh, interesting information from a technical legal standpoint in it. But I thought it was a a really good example of, um, well, you know, there's something that people get a little bit upset about sometimes because I think they don't understand um, about, they get upset about the administrative state and um, the... This is a interesting thing because everything happened at the Nuclear Regulatory Commission level, and then it didn't go to any other body, but uh, the way you've set it out, there's an exclusive remedy, which is an appeal to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, Federal Court of Appeals, yes. is the way I understand yes. it. And, mm-hmm. and so, you know, it's it's one of those old songs, you can't fight City Hall unless you <laughs> you know how to fight City Hall, I guess. Right. But could you yes, ex- um, explain that to our listeners, how that, how that sure. actually works? Um, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission was created back at the dawn of the nuclear era in the 50s. Mm-hmm. And um, it was created because Congress realized what a powerful and potentially dangerous technology uh, nuclear was. It wasn't long after the bombings of Japan. Right. Um, so the Congress decided that there needed to be an agency of the federal government to oversee the development of nuclear power, that it wasn't 
uh, it wasn't sufficient to just let private companies do whatever they wanted to. So what it demanded or required was that anyone who wanted to build a new nuclear plant had to come before the Nuclear Regulatory Commission and ask for a federal license. And the license came after a hearing in which the commission examined whether the company had the funds and the knowledge and the uh, ability to act, you know, operate safely that was important for the public health of Americans. So um, each of these plants was licensed, most of them in the 60s and early 70s. And the limit on the license was 40 years. So 40 years has now passed, sometimes a little more. 40 years for and the Diablo, the, you're, you're talking about the Diablo Canyon nuclear power and plant. And many others, oh, Diablo okay. in particular, yeah. yeah. Um, since they got the original license. Now, Diablo, I, I don't know if you remember or, or have learned, Diablo was an extremely controversial plant when it was built. I was I was in the was, protest lines. I I do remember. Okay, well you know then. I wasn't, but I was. I I became as you heard. I became very involved in nuclear issues shortly after that. Mm -hmm. um, so the reason was uh, because of the fact that the plant was to be be built right next to the ocean, and at that point everyone knew there were a lot of faults under the uh, water there and on land. Just, just for uh, for your edification, we had an earthquake here today, uh, which was felt in San Luis Obispo uh, all the way from uh, the uh, San Andreas Fault just on the east side of the county. Yeah. Wasn't wasn't bad. Yeah. Here. It was, it was a little one. Yeah. But, but it, you know, but people worried uh, justifiably about what if one of these earthquakes or faults opens up and, you know, wrecks the plant and releases nuclear fuel and radiation. And the other reason I think that, was, that came up then was that the company planned to just use the water of the ocean for cooling water mm -hmm. and then just return it right to the ocean. So they were warming up an area of the ocean there that drastically changed that ecosystem. So those two things were argued, but the Nuclear Regulatory Commission licensed the plant anyway, and it was built in the 70s. Uh, now it's come back, uh, well, it came back around 2010, uh, asking the Nuclear Regulatory Commission to give it another 20 years to operate. And Friends of the Earth and uh, several other organizations, I think including um, SLO Mothers, um, sued against our, or became involved in the, in the hearings at the uh, NRC, uh -huh. um, and uh, filed suit about it, but there was a, a negotiation that occurred in 2016. And did that which, result in and, the time limit coming up to uh, 2024 and 2025, respectively? Yeah, it w what was agreed was uh, PG&E said, okay, We'll close the plant down at the end of its current license period, which is 24 for one unit, 25 for the other unit. Okay. And the environmental uh, 
interest said, well, okay, we'll accept that. And they wrote a contract, actually, between them, uh, which in which PG&E agreed to do that. And it was approved by state officials. So was that contract, uh, so, betwi- was, Richard, was that contract between uh, PG&E and the NRC or between PG&E and uh, the groups that had uh, sued? The groups that had sued. Ah, okay. So the NRC just kind of stood aside, and when the agreement was signed, PG&E came back to the NRC and said, all right, we've changed our minds. We don't want a new extension of our license. Okay. And the commission said, okay, that's what you want. That's fine. Here's all your paperwork back. Well, folks, you're Um, listening to Richard Ayers here on Slow County Public Policy and the Law. He's one of the attorneys uh, in the lawsuit uh, of Mothers for Peace and Friends of the Earth against the NRC and PG&E concerning whether or not it's lawful for the NRC to extend the licensing for PG&E. Sorry I interrupted you, uh, Richard. I I wanted to make sure people uh, who tuned in late knew who you were. Well, thank you. yeah, the, the, the agreement between the parties was signed and said it was approved by the state, I think even by the legislature. Well, now, I'm, I'm curious um, if, if that agreement was between the uh, PG&E and Mothers for Peace and Friends of the Earth and the Environmental Working Group. Um, the, the basis of this lawsuit is that the NRC has, has violated uh, certain statutes and regulations, uh, but it sounds like a simple breach of contract or uh, breach of uh, settlement agreement. Uh, was that considered as a as an option? It certainly was, and in fact, uh, Friends of the Earth uh, has filed suit in the uh, California state courts, seeking to have the contract enforced. Okay. So there's there's that separate litigation. Well, that's, but that's at the state level, not the federal level where we are. Okay. And uh, and then when I go to pages three and four of the brief, um, these are things that I thought were interesting. The, uh, there's a statement that in the Second Circuit Court of Appeals, there's a, a different uh, set of um, precedents that might... Uh, block the lawsuit and you explain why they they shouldn't but that would have been in mm-hmm. in New York and Virginia and excuse me not uh, Vermont and Connecticut not Virginia um, but you you effectively talk about the uh, actions of the NRC providing undue risk I think your second uh, point is undue risk to the public health and safety by violating um, sections uh, 182 and 103 of the Atomic Energy Act. Can can you talk about how um, you all feel that that um, is supported, that allegation is supported? Sure. Um, What's what's at issue here in this case is an exemption that the NRC 
has given to PG&E um, from a rule of the NRCs that says um, if you want to reapply for an extension of your license, you must do it at least five years before your license runs out. And if you don't, um, then you can't get this exemption. Well, um, PG&E applied for this exemption uh, in less than two years, actually almost less than one year for one unit before the end of the current license period. Right. And that's because they had decided to close it, and then when the legislature offered a big subsidy, they changed their minds. So they came to the NRC and said, oh, oh, wait, let's let's reopen our our request. And the, and the commission said, all right, we'll, we'll allow you to continue to operate even if this process takes more than the remaining time on your license. And um, our point is uh, the regulations that were written by the NRC don't allow that. The NRC is saying, uh, oh, that's okay. <laughs> it, it was many more words, but that's what it comes down to. Well, and, and, and to, to be no, to be not. to be fair, Richard, uh, let's take the devil's advocate for a second uh, on the issue. Um, the, they're uh, faced with a plant that has been operating for almost forty years um, with uh, incidents, but so far no major accident. Um, and so, I guess the the question that our listeners would have might be. Posed uh, like this, if if it's operating and it's been operating safely, uh, how is the public? Uh, um, how are they harmed? How are they endangered if it's allowed to continue while they consider it? But I'm going to have to wrap up for our news here, and we're going to come back right after this news break. <laughs> <laughs> 